discussing the ideas, the challenges, and the technology of the crypto economy. This is a crypto economy chat. What is up, guys? Welcome back to the show. This is The Crypto Economy with Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And being a avid reader of all things Bitcoin, uh, I have got literally my favorite writer of Bitcoin things on the show today. We've got an awesome conversation with Aaron Van Verdum, longtime Bitcoin OG and a writer for, well, multiple publications, really, but uh, most notably Bitcoin Magazine. On that, if you have not gotten your copy of the recent print magazine, the uh, 10th anniversary edition, you can still get it at the Bitcoin store, uh, Bitcoin Magazine store. I will drop the link in the show notes. Um, and there are a lot of great articles by Aaron in that magazine of all kinds of topics. So it is uh, genuinely one not to be missed. But we got into all kinds of fun shit in this episode. Uh, talked with Aaron about uh, his background and you know what pulled him into Bitcoin. Uh, what did he do before? Uh, we talk about his process and figuring out how to understand incredibly complex technologies when starting from basically zero, about the growing need for privacy and all the really exciting tech coming to Bitcoin because he's written about so much of it. And we get into to the, the social impacts of paradigm shifting technologies bitcoin being obviously the most uh, pertinent example but even things like the printing press and technology throughout history so i really hope you guys enjoy this as much as i did and we won't delay any longer let's just go ahead and jump right into our conversation our crypto chat with aaron van veerdem i I try (laughs) all right well Aaron, it's uh, it's really awesome to have you on the show. Uh, truly, um, I've been I have been following your stuff for uh, I don't know what you've been writing since 2013, maybe. Yeah, I well, in 2013 it was Dutch. So unless you can read Dutch, you probably weren't okay. reading my stuff back then. I wrote a couple of articles <laughs> in Dutch then. Uh, I think my first article in English was for Bitcoin Magazine, actually, and that was probably around March 2014, something like that. Okay, okay. Yeah. It was, I feel like it was really early on, like, uh, because I had been... It was early 2014. Okay, okay. Um, and you start, so you started off right with, I know you wrote for, well, I guess you were freelance, and you wrote for, like, other places like Cointelegraph or some some other places like that, if I'm not mistaken, is that right? Yeah, also Coindesk. Um there was like uh, something called Bitpost I wrote for a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I, wrote, I wrote quite a lot for Cointelegraph for a while. I think um, late 2014, early 2015, I was sort of uh, actually working for them like on a full-time basis as well. Uh, and then after that, I, got, I went back to Bitcoin Magazine. So that was summer, awesome 2015, and I've been with them ever since. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You've been, I remember because like it's, it was always anytime back then it was hard to find good writing. It just was like, um, 
like you were kind of a diamond in the rough, like right when I bumped into your name and I, and it was funny. I, I don't remember exactly what the second article that I read of yours was, but I was like, okay, this guy's like actually writes stuff. Um, but I've always been uh, curious just kind of what your background was. Like, how did you get into Bitcoin? Like, what was it in 2013 that pushed you there? Have you been, have you been writing for, is that what you were doing before then? Or Yeah, pretty much. Well, I was, I was, I studied journalism. So that's one thing. Um, just here in the Netherlands, in Utrecht. Uh, and I did a master's after that, uh, also here in Utrecht, which was uh, nothing... It has nothing to do with uh, technology, even or well, a little bit with technology, but I'm definitely not a developer or anything like that. Like that. Some people think that. Um, I studied politics and society in historical perspective, and I focused a lot on um, how, for example, the printing press sort of affected society. And um, um, I, I think that's kind of a parallel I, I saw with. Well, with the internet at first, and then when Bitcoin came along, that that seemed like another, you know, technology that could sort of have a real effect on how society actually functions. That that got me interested. Uh, it was also, um, well, your question was, was I writing? So yeah, I was writing as a freelance journalist, but in Dutch, um, and I was, you know, doing internships and that kind of stuff. So there, but it, all in Dutch. This was all in Dutch. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so your uh, uh, your piece on the impact of the printing press is in Dutch. Um, I well, that was that was for my uh, masters, and it may have actually been in English. Um, the, the stuff I wrote for it, but that's not published or anything. It's just oh, you should publish it or or send it to me. I'd love to read it. That actually sounds really interesting. Like I love exactly that kind of topic. Like what, like what kind of social impact does like a major technology have because i think it's kind of like in the the traditional like education or thinking we forget how much or, or it's like it's not focused on like like in school i learned who the president was then you know like not what the printing press did and right i feel like the printing press had orders of magnitude more impact than any like who cares what, who's the president oh, was yeah. right <laughs> like, oh yeah absolutely i don't know i love i absolutely love that kind of stuff um so yeah, if you were yeah, I did, I did I did kind of a research project, for example, on um where I compared how the printing press affected sort of North America versus South America, Latin America, and um, in in Latin America, which was much more restricted. Like it was really uh, they they really kept the printing press out of the hands of the common people, basically. While in North America, it became a much more common thing where there were printing presses in town that, that people could use. And that had a huge effect. Um, you may have heard of the Federalist Papers, for example. Like the, yeah. The, yeah, that, that was all like printed. And they, they used the printing press to spread these ideas of democracy. And that, and, um, you know, that had an effect that echoes through the centuries, literally. Like even centuries later, the United States was much more democratic than a lot of Latin American countries. And, and I think that that's, that definitely originates from that kind of, um, these, these kinds of technology and how they spread through society. Wow. That's, that's really fascinating. I mean, I mean, that's kind of a proof right there is that like, we're talking about the Federalist Papers because uh, everybody pretty much knows or has heard of it. And that's a powerful indication of what that printing press meant, like as being available during that time. 
is that that idea could spread. Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm legit. Like if you uh, if you have a copy of that and uh, you wanted to publish it, I would be absolutely jacked. I'd love to read it. <laughs> huh. I I'll have to see if I still have it. I probably yeah. still have it. I mean, it's got to be two laptops ago when when I wrote that. <laughs> I, I probably still have it somewhere. Uh, I'd have to look it up. Yeah. So, and then in 2013, when uh, Bitcoin came along, I was one of the things I was kind of writing about, or at least it had my attention, was uh, just the whole financial sector and how they how they messed it all up, and uh, and that um so um one of the sort of common themes, at least here in the Netherlands, and I think it may have been a bit different in the United States, or or at least. Well, I, I guess something, someone like Elizabeth Warren has a sort of similar approach where the main calls for change were in the direction of more regulation, like banks had to be regulated more, and that, that was sort of the common theme. And then when I heard of Bitcoin, it was such a radically different answer. Like, why do we even need banks? Like, let's do money without banks. And that's such, yeah. that's such a fascinating concept that struck me immediately. and um. Uh, I I want to know more about it and read more about it. And then Bitcoin hit the mainstream news because there was a bubble. And then all of all, the only thing you would read in the mainstream news was this very different take on it. Like it's uh, you know it's a bubble. It's a uh, criminals' money. It's, it was such a negative <laughs> approach. Where I I discovered Bitcoin like two months before it really hit the mainstream in 2013. And I would mm-hmm. think something so different. Like, I, why don't they see the potential here? Why don't they see how interesting this concept is? And that were that really triggered me to start writing about it. And I uh, started writing a series of blog posts, just in Dutch, where I kind of dismissed or I I kind of refuted or gave the counter arguments for everything I was reading, like why Bitcoin isn't a Ponzi scheme, why it's not only for criminals and and that was um that was how I started. Awesome. It's funny, like I, I probably had a similar response. Like when they were in that whole push of like the the whole narrative was like, oh, we need more regulation to fix this giant systemic problem that has right. uh, come to a head. It was just like it seems so arbitrary to me. It's like like the regulation. Look what the regulation already failed to fix. Like like this is. This you know this isn't a small this is a multi trillion dollar disaster here, and like this went this supposedly went under everybody's nose and like like this is your failure you know yeah. <laughs> like like we need something really different like we need something to turn like like how could that kind of imbalance actually happen like where is the where is the disconnect between the real resources and all the numbers that you fools are pushing around over there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think at that point, I kind of accepted the narrative, actually. I kind of accepted the narrative that more regulation was needed uh, until I... Really? Yeah, I, I think that was sort of... I kind of went along in that line of reasoning and Bitcoin really changed my mind. Bitcoin really showed me such a radical different solution and mm-hmm. it really got me thinking that wait a minute, maybe maybe more regulation isn't the answer here. Maybe less regulation is what we actually need. Maybe maybe the whole system of um, 
you know, deposit insurance. Maybe that's the problem, really, if you think about it. And, I, you know, I still think that way. So Bitcoin really showed me a different, completely different solution to the same problem. And it, it really blew my mind for, uh, for a while there. That's fascinating. Bitcoin is such a, that's one of those things about Bitcoin that I, I, I constantly harp on is just the fact that it is kind of that, uh, it's that black swan that like, like pokes its head in and like, it makes everybody readjust. Like it's so different from the norm that it's, it's incredibly good at poking holes in people's like ideas of what's possible or like perspectives on how to think about or like fix a thing, you know? Okay, paradigm um, shift. At least, if, yeah. If it, yeah. You know, if it continues to succeed, it's it's just a complete paradigm shift. It just turns everything yeah. upside down. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, and I think there's no going back. And at least, at least, fingers crossed. That's that's my conviction right now. That's what I'm going for. Is that like we're in this, and I mean, we it, it's invented. So. I, I really think there isn't any going back. I just hope we don't have to start from scratch again. I hope Bitcoin doesn't break in this process. That would that would make me very sad. But so far, so good. So far, so good. That's right. So, uh, uh, how do you like uh, how do you like working for Bitcoin Magazine? You're with them full time, and are, are they just a bunch of assholes? Or <laughs> um, I'm actually not full time with them at this point. I, I kind of took a step back, but um, no, it's a great. Oh, okay. Place. It's a re- David Bailey is the CEO, and he's like the biggest Bitcoin-minded guy out there. Like he's a huge uh, Bitcoin enthusiast, and that that really tri- trickles down into the whole company. I think it's a uh, it's it's really a, a fun, interesting Bitcoin-focused company where everyone's thinking about you know how not just about how how can we grow this company and how can we make money, but also I think really, how can we help Bitcoin, or what kind of what can we do for Bitcoin, or what kind of um, what kind of role can we play here as a company? I think that's 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 very interesting. I will say I don't work from their office. I've only been there once. I work remote. You know, I'm in Europe, so I you know I don't experience it every day. But um, I've been there. I've and and sometimes I meet uh, I meet the team at other events like recently we had our san francisco event of course it's going to 19 uh or i'll or i'll meet them at um uh, the new york blockchain week or so um so i'm not there every day but uh i still uh it's a it's an interesting company to work for sure yeah yeah i met uh i ended up meeting like i don't know i feel like 10 15 people like sitting down chatting with uh, guys who worked at Bitcoin Magazine and everybody I met was just like, so uh, like, and it was really exciting just at the Bitcoin 2019 conference because everybody was all giddy because, you know, it was working. I'm sure it was like a sort of relief to actually have it happening, you know, after all the buildup <laughs> and how busy I'm sure all those guys were. But um, uh, I've been, I've been excited about it. like, I've been Bitcoin Magazine was like, just when it was announced, like that there was going to be like a physical magazine, like I I nerded like fanboyed out so hard back in the day. I mean, like it was it was just the coolest thing in the world. I've always wanted. I'm, I've got my I've got two copies of the new magazine, and I but I don't have one that's not open, so I still haven't done that. I should probably just go ahead and do that today. Um, 
I need to buy my 10th anniversary edition unopened. Right. <laughs> Got to get my collector's edition. Yeah, it's quite nice. I think it looks great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it looked really good. And I loved your articles in it. I, I still am not all the way through it. I'm about halfway through the thing. Um, right. Uh, but your uh, the intro articles about like the history of the cypherpunks and then like Satoshi and like the the precursors to Bitcoin, great stuff, great stuff. It's really in line with uh, the Genesis Files series, which is one of my favorite of yours. Um, cool. Uh, so, uh, do you get paid fully in Bitcoin? Do you do all your stuff in Bitcoin? Yeah, well, it goes through Bitwage, so I can choose. But uh, yeah, I, I choose it. See, you have Bitwage, dude. I don't think that's a I don't think they can do that in the U.S. Can they do that in the U.S.? Think so. Really? Uh, I think so. I don't know. I need to check into that. Oh, I definitely need to look into that. I thought that wasn't available in the U.S. Ooh. Anyway, that would surprise me, but um, I I don't know. I'm not from the U.S. I haven't I haven't experienced it. Gotcha. Definitely work here. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, how did Bitcoin, did Bitcoin Magazine come to you or did you reach out to them? Like, how did that whole thing happen back in the day? I, I reached out to them at first. Um, I was working for Cointelegraph for a while and then that kind of ended. Um, and so I was just looking for work and I reached out to them. And I, think, I think I wrote maybe... Let's see. I wrote a couple of articles for Bitcoin Magazine just on a freelance basis around that time, and then the bit uh, the scaling Bitcoin conference happened in Montreal, um, which was uh, I think was well, anyways, yeah, that was September I think, um, and that's where I met David and uh, a couple of other uh, uh, people from Bitcoin Magazine, and they uh, they basically offered me a job right there, I believe. They oh wow. <laughs> I think they just told me you should come work for us, like you know, on a steady basis. Early <laughs> in Montreal, where they offered me, so I really nice. I recall. Who all? Who all was? Um, how how different is it? Like, like how big were they back then? Like, how how many was the crew? Like, how many other people were you writing with back then versus now? Like, is it? Oh, they were just starting because it it used to be owned by Vitalik and Mihai, and that was um. There was a whole other team working on it, mm -hmm. and they just closed shop. I don't know, maybe early 2015 or something. Yeah, right when they were switching over to Ethereum, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and then BTC Media, as it was called, then today's called BTC Inc. Uh, they bought Bitcoin Magazine and they restarted it. I think in summer of 2015. So uh, they were only just getting going when when I reached out to them. I think. Or maybe only two months or so, and it was a super small team at that time. Interesting. Okay. Mm. Excited to have the magazine back in print. Well, for now it was a one-time thing, uh, but we're gonna do another one for sure uh, at the next conference. But it's not gonna be like a monthly thing if if that's what you're hoping for. At least. Oh uh, no! Know, we, I might, we might at some point decide we want to do that, but I. We haven't yet. Like for now, that's not the case. We're just gonna gotcha. do another one uh, when the next conference is up. Um, I I think I like it that way. I don't. I I prefer online on a more regular basis, just because mm -hmm. you have to reach like everyone in the world can read uh, can read it, and that I kind of prefer it that way. And a uh, print magazine has something special, but 
if you do one every month, it's not as special anymore. So I don't I don't know if I would really feel I I would probably be against that or I don't know. Maybe maybe I could be convinced otherwise. But uh, uh I, I don't I don't really have special feelings for print to be perfectly honest with you. I like I like digital just as much. I like the uh I just like the novelty of it. And yeah. but with the print, like I, I definitely kind of agree, like the I guess you could say the scarcity really gives it its value. Um, and when I talked to Jeremy uh, Fleming, because um, uh, I, I talked to him a lot about the magazine and everything, and he was saying that basically what you were saying is that it's probably going to be like kind of an annual thing-ish. Yeah. You mean um, Andrew Fleming, yeah? I, mean, I guess, excuse me. Yes, Andrew, sorry. Um, and uh, and I think, that's, I think that's a great decision, but just because you don't want to fill it with like, like just the general like news stuff, you know, like, like yeah. you want it, you want to be like the good stuff like gets put in print. Um, and I, I totally agree. I like for just keeping up with it, like just I'll just read all the stuff on Bitcoin Magazine and follow it on online. But I like to have that every year that Bitcoin stays and Bitcoin continues to grow. Let me get my Bitcoin Magazine and stash it away in my collector's pile <laughs> yeah and, and then an annual edition sounds like a interesting and good idea too. uh on that do you basically get to choose like what you write about or do you just you go hunting for stuff and they're like oh love it like and like take your stuff or do they usually end up kind of sending you like these are the new technologies like check these out like how does that work exactly no that that would be me usually i i pick my stories yeah um I think they're very yeah. Once in a while, there will be a suggestion from someone else uh, on something I should write, but that's that's more the exception. I I usually pick my own stories and find what I think is interesting or what hasn't been reported yet. Or yeah, that that would be me mostly. Yeah, I love the one on state chains recently. Um, I've I've gotten to where I really like legit like depend on because i don't I, I don't have the time much like i end up reading so much stuff and i have such a backlog constantly that now i kind of lean on your stuff particularly when you have any of the technical things because right. you always have you always have the simplified version you know like in, instead of me doing two hours of research I, I read a 15 minute article and i feel like i got a really good idea of exactly how it works so um i really really appreciate those in particular um Good. Yeah, you, you read that one on your show, I think, right? Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, just this Monday, yeah. uh, just two days ago. Yeah, nice. really good one. I love that one. Cool. When you, uh, what's kind of your process when you're breaking into the new technology, state chains being a great example, or the no input scripts? Like, like that one, I, I had a hard time trying to, and particularly because there's like two or, or three or four or something even that are in, I guess, discussion or whatnot. Like, like, where do you start trying to break this stuff down? You say you're not a developer, right? But you have some sort of technical background, like no, nope. is no, not none at all, none at all. Just, just, just investigating. That's you're you're just good at figuring out how the hell things work. <laughs> uh, well, usually, I I mean, you you ask where I start. Well, I start with just re- reading the VIP or the mailing list, and um. If there is a presentation available, I'll definitely watch that. And then usually after I've done these things, then I still don't get it. Or <laughs> or 
or or I kind of have an idea of how it works, uh-huh. but not not really, not not like I could write it down yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then I reach out to the people working on it, or or the whoever designed it or whoever invented it. So uh, that was Ruben Thompson for the state chain article, or um, Christian Decker for the no input uh, article, or you know whoever is working on it, and then. Um, I start asking them dumb questions and they usually have the patience to answer them for me until I actually understand what's going on. So usually I like I do my first research, like I mentioned, just reading the BIP and then I have kind of a clue of how it works and I usually try to explain it to them. Like I, I try to explain to them how their technology works and then ask them to correct me wherever I'm wrong and then or until the point where I kind of reach a dead end and I'm like, okay, this part I guess I don't understand. So can you help me with that? That's that's my process. That's also always been my process. Just asking questions to the guys who know. And um you know there they are questions coming from a non technical guy. Like I well over the years I've gotten more technical of course. Over the years having written all these articles I understand more and more and more and it gets easier to parse a new proposal because it's based on everything that's already out there. Mm-hmm. So over time, I'm getting more technical, but that's, you know, the process has always been the same. Just ask whatever I don't understand, uh, try to explain it back to them until I do understand it. And that seems to work. Seems yeah. to work for me. Um, Works for me so far. Like <laughs> reading your articles. <laughs> like, um, do, you, uh, do you ever have any problem with like, I mean, that's pretty awesome that pretty much everybody is available. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of one of the fascinating things about the internet is that just the access to everyone. Um, right. But do you ever have is- any issues with like people be like, I'm sorry, I just don't have the time right now to answer these questions. Like, uh, or is everybody pretty much just like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, let me correct you here kind of thing. Like, how's that? Yeah, I almost never have these kinds of problems, surprisingly to me like it i sometimes i feel almost like guilty for reaching out to uh some of these people because you know they're they're like the top talents in the world building the future like they they probably have something better to do or <laughs> something that i would consider more important almost but yeah um but no they're they're almost always like without exception just patient and willing and uh it probably helps that I've been doing this for a couple of years and mm-hmm. I, I've sort of built a reputation where, where they hopefully know that if they take the time for me, then I will really try to get it right. And uh, oftentimes people will also, you know, like the articles, uh, read the articles and, and therefore learn what these guys are doing, which is nice for them as well. You know, working, working with a small elite of, top developers uh i'm sure is fun but it's also probably fun if a lot of people actually understand what what they're doing yeah yeah and appreciate that so um uh that may be uh their their reward there but um no they're surprisingly or i don't know if it's surprising but they're almost always patient and willing to help me out cool yeah you know? I, I, no doubt the having your reputation precede you probably makes it a whole lot easier. So no, everybody knows you're not trying to waste their time. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Hopefully. 
All right, before we dive into some of the major developments that he's been writing about recently and the ones that he is most excited to see uh, come to fruition in the protocol, uh, let's take a quick break and uh, hit our sponsor, and then we will jump right back in. Um, uh, how long... Uh, the, the Lightning Network series was one of the first ones that... That was your. That was the first of your technical pieces that I think that just blew my mind because I had been trying to wrap my head around the Lightning Network and was having a really, really hard time because, I mean, that was just a really complex thing. Uh, how long did it take you to put that series together? Oh, that's a, that's a great example because I think that one took the longest out of all my technical explainer type of articles um really were free articles but i think it took me maybe two weeks including the research writing and then we had to do all the drawings and um like all in all i think it took about two weeks for these free articles which is definitely the longest i've worked on any technical article that was also um yeah, that was that was difficult, man. Like you said, at that point in time, like for context, the Lightning Network was this thing people would talk about, and it was this thing that, you know, it was on the Bitcoin Core roadmap, and it was um, it was a big deal in the scaling debate, and people kept mentioning the Lightning Network as a potential solution or part of a solution, but no one, there was no clear explanation anywhere right yeah the closest the close you had the white paper mm -hmm. the lightning white paper of course and then you had a couple of presentations by uh joseph poon and uh Tanj. um then the presentations maybe simplified it a little bit but it was probably still going over most people's heads and then rusty russell did an explanation explainer series as well he did a free part blog post where where he tried to break it down and that was already a big step compared to like the white paper and it was already like rusty russell already really lowered the, the bar of required expertise to understand at all but it was still pretty complex so that was nothing for me to go off either and i just decided one day, you know what? I'm gonna tackle this thing. I wanna tackle this lightning network, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna explain this in a way that people can understand it, even though I have no idea myself how how it actually works, or I, I don't really get it either. So I started doing that. So I started reading everything that was there, Rusty's blogs, and watching the presentations and everything. And I think I may have also been asking questions to some of the developers. Um, but I remember after like two full days of doing that, or maybe it was even three days or like after, you know, too long, really, like at that point where I felt like I should have an article by now, I still, I, I still had nothing. I still, I was still, <laughs> I was, and I was getting a bit stressed. Like, what am I, how am I going to, I don't know what I'm going to do anymore. I, I just don't get this. I'm not smart enough. So what I started doing is I started to draw it out. I started to draw it out. I, I just took a big piece of paper and I just and a pen and I just literally started drawing out and like a, you know this is a transaction and I'll draw a clock and that's a time lock and 
this is like a, a hash preimage and I'll I'll do it as a key and I'll sort of and I started drawing it out one step at a time and that helps. And after a day of drawing or something and, and you know and still trying to wrap my hand head around it all, I finally felt like okay, you know what? I think I kinda get it now. This makes sense and this is pretty clever. Yeah. Um so and, were those and, diagrams in the article? Were those yours? Yes. Like essentially, exactly. wow. So, they, so we, I decided, okay, you know what? We're actually going to use these drawings. That's what we're going to do. We're going to, so I asked the Bitcoin magazine team, like, is this, is this possible? Or do we have someone who can make a nice drawing? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't make the computer graphic drawings. I just had a, I made it a paint mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. someone else made it like better. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but they were essentially like, I drew, to, I drew out the, the rough concept of it all. And uh, yeah, these were actually the drawings I used myself. And then we sort of, that, that through, a, through a phase or two, we turned that into actual, the actual diagrams that are in the article. Um, and then um, I still got a lot of help. I think uh, Joseph Poon was definitely helping me out, Rusty as well. And, uh, you know, just going back and forth, asking questions, making sure I got it right. And yeah, after two weeks, I had like a three-part lighting article and was finally finally able to explain it and people seem to appreciate it it's still to this day what are we like three years later i think, mm -hmm. I think somewhere I, around there yeah i think i published it in like 2016 spring summer something like that and mm -hmm. even today it's it's definitely one of the articles people will still bring up like and it's been used in like university courses i've heard and oh shit really? yeah it's been used in like all sorts of contexts that that were way beyond what I ever intended, but um, yeah, it seemed to have uh, really helped a lot of people to uh, to, to understand it, like like it kind of helped myself as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it was definitely it, it was without a doubt the one that finally got me to understand it. I, I think really being able to look at those diagrams, um, like the actual layout of the contract, because I'm I'm much more of a visual learner right. in that way, and um. Uh, but I've had so many people like, because there's, I've had so many people tell me like, thank you for turning his thing into audio because like, that was the thing that finally made me like understand what the hell lightning was. Really? So I've had, I was wondering about that. Yeah. I know you did read the articles on your mm -hmm. podcast and I just can't imagine that for me personally, if someone would just read it to me, I don't think I would get it. Like I would actually need to see the drawings and go back in the text when I forgot something or, but that works for people. Apparently it, it, there is definitely a subset that it works well in audio. And also I tried to um, like afterward in the commentary, um, I tried to explain the diagram or, or well, the contract that was in the diagram. And I explained it like a tree with three branches right. and, uh, uh, and like, so I tried to give a visual for them for what you had in the article um, and, but I, I definitely had a lot of people say, um, that like, thank you for doing that series because like that made a big difference. There's, uh, so any, anybody that you have had say that, like it, it works just as well in audio. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, so with that, you've written about a ton of the stuff that's coming up soon. Like, like a lot of the in development, like technology right now. In fact, have you written about l2 i have not seen one yeah. about that have you last week you have written 
did did you? Uh, I well, because I have not wrapped my head. I think it's called no. The article is what is it called? Well, it's named after no. You're talking about the no input script. Yes, that's also about L2 basically. It's it's um, it, it, because no inputs enables L2. Uh, so the article kind of explains both actually. Okay, good, good. I haven't um jumped into that one. Well, that's not true. I've read like the first like four paragraphs and gotten really excited about it, but um. Uh, I haven't read it through, uh, but that that's probably the biggest one. L2, like how the the key system works is um, the when I tried to read it on the white paper, I, I just I, nothing like it just was not it was not doing anything for me. But with that, with the no input like scripts, these new scripts, the state chains, Schnorr, uh, you've written about a number of different privacy technologies graph root, tap root, all of this stuff and the huge set of tools that are like happening with the lightning network. What right now is the most compelling to you? Like, what do you think will be the most impactful kind of from like your investigation, like side of things? I think tap root is going to be a big deal. I think that's, that's really, I, well, I think it's really awesome. Uh, I really, I really mm -hmm. like that you can turn all sorts of complex smart contract type of things into just regular looking Bitcoin transactions. I think, you know, you're looking at a blockchain and you don't know if someone just sent someone else money or whether they opened and closed the lightning channel. There's just no way to know, to know the difference. And I think that's really cool. I think that's, uh, that's good for privacy and fungibility. And, and we need that. Uh, so I really like that. And it's, um, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna be combined with snore. Um, yeah, it's a really, uh, really neat concept, I think, uh, just hiding all the complexity and um, make it all make it all look normal. That's 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 a good idea. If you ask me, I really like that one in general. Yeah, I, I really hope we can get as much privacy as possible. Of course, like that's that main that's the main challenge. I think we, we have before us uh, the next couple of years. Um, it also, I'm, I'm sometimes a little bit worried that as Bitcoin continues to grow and as more and more people are entering the space, I, I'm a little bit concerned that maybe privacy isn't as high a priority for a lot of people and some, some yeah. people might even prefer Bitcoin to have this level of transparency to please regulators. And that's, that's a bit concerning. I, really hope we can you know start well we have been making pretty good progress on the privacy front in the last year or two mm -hmm. especially since the scaling wars kind of ended it seems that developers have been uh, have been able to focus on privacy a bit more uh, so that's making progress also you know we have uh, with wasabi for example which is actually a pretty good privacy wallet uh, that's 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 uh, great to have that um, I hope we can, and yeah, and Taproot's part of that, and I hope we will see as much as possible. The, the other thing I really like is, for example, um, oh man, what's it called again? This, um, um, maybe you remember the name. It's when, let's say I make a payment to you, and you actually contribute mm -hmm. one of the inputs. I, do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The one where like like I would add my uh like a change 
Oh, what was that? Is that Stonewall? No. Not quite. No, no, that's not the one. Um, uh, I remember. I know what you're talking about. It's like a little mini coin join yeah. type thing. Yeah, I think that would be. I think that would be so cool if we see that implemented in some some wallets. Uh, you know, you know. Let's say it's implemented in Electrum or something. I don't know if they have been doing that or or plans or anything like that. But the Electrum does i don't know maybe 10 percent of all bitcoin transactions like a, a good chunk and if you'd have something like that in something like electron that would make such a big difference it would just completely mess up um blockchain analy- analytics so badly that 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 would be really great it would just break so many of their assumptions it, I, i'm really hoping we could see something like that and which is totally feasible like it's possible it um, it does complicate making a transaction a little bit because both parties need to be online. So there's, there are drawbacks, but if we could make something like that happen, even if it's just 1% of transactions, even if it's just, you know, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be 90%. Like it, it, it needs to be a, a nice share where it's enough to break the assumption in a, in a pretty consistent way. Um, that, would, that would be neat. I really hope we can see something like that. So yeah, in general, I'm hoping privacy and fungibility. That's just that's just the main thing. That's the main. Right that's now. the main concern. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, uh, Taproot, um, like Taproot does have like I love that like that's kind of because it's it's kind of a bit of compression of the data at the and privacy at the same time, which is I'm loving that those technologies are kind of uh, going hand in hand. Uh, same with Schnorr signatures is that your at the same time that you're getting data savings, which is critical for making good use of the block space, um, you're getting privacy kind of by default with these technologies. And, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I have to say I am pleasantly surprised because uh, I had a couple of conversations right after, sometime in 2017, so about two years ago-ish, um, when it was kind of clear that the block size wars were going were kind of on their way out you know like we were finally at least breaking up and being okay with it (laughs) um that i thought the next major battle was going to be privacy and i guess i'm pleasantly surprised it doesn't seem to be much of a battle like everybody's like a lot of development and stuff seems to be focused on it and moving in that direction which is really exciting but i don't feel like the huge fight and maybe maybe we're not there yet but do you think it's going to be like a big like tussle when we kind of get there or i think think it could be i think i think i think part of the reason that it's not really there yet is that we don't have really uh good privacy solutions yet well they're starting they're coming now but you know um it always takes a while for regulation to keep to uh catch up um you know there are there are even today pretty. If they would want to attack privacy, it it they could, it could get, they could be too successful for comfort. You know, um, who knows? Maybe ex- maybe exchanges at some point will refuse coin join transactions, or you know, yeah, or or, or bitcoins coins that have a history. Uh, with the coin join uh, 
a, a few steps back or who knows who knows what, what what kind of attacks are possible but i i'm definitely not comfortable with what we have today really i i i am hopeful for what will be possible but um i'm not i don't think that i don't think the technical solution is solving at all and i i'm not sure that will I think part of the solution will also just be regulators and society at large will have to accept that we're going to claim privacy. We're not going to, you know, and that's that's also a, a social battle. Like it's not just a technological thing. It's not enough to have a technical solution alone. I, I think we need to sh- spread this idea that privacy is all right. It's a human right. Something we're allowed to have um and only if i think that's that's part of the puzzle like it needs to be accepted that we're gonna have privacy yeah and i think uh and it would be great if we could just have a technical solution that fixes it all but unfortunately i think that's probably they're gonna not gonna cut it yeah yeah i i i kind of agree that it 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 has to be like we kind of have to basically like I don't know, I guess we put our foot down and say, well, we're not really asking permission, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but that's why I'm, I'm really happy with things like Taproot, um, uh, Dandelion uh, is another good one, even though it's it seems pretty basic and it's just like in actually sending messages out to the, to the network. Um, uh, and Schnorr that like by default, and, and Lightning, Lightning is another good example, like that by default, the cheaper option is the one that gives privacy because it's compressing the data so that you kind of have like a backup argument it's like well why are you using this privacy technique it's like well because it saves me 75 percent on my fee to you know join in with these other 10 people in a transaction and make a schnorr signature kind of thing like so the fact that the economic incentives are aligned it's like not only are we taking your privacy but we're forcing you to pay more for the same uh same service it it creates a dual pushback against that kind of regulation so i'm hoping i got fingers crossed that that becomes like a that ends up going hand in hand with pushing for better uh better privacy um do you think that's kind of the big that is the biggest challenge like even in the like legal regulatory stuff like the scaling limitations and you know maybe the frustration with lightning you know not being the perfectest solution that we could have is it really just privacy you think is kind of the big barrier right now it's the one i care about the most um, okay <laughs> i mean there there are all sorts of challenges out there but uh i privacy is the one i care about the most uh, and um it's also i i think part of it is also that I think it has the most urgency. Like we need to get this now. Like you, you can't really, you can have privacy on um, at a, at a um, higher levels, but it's good to have it on the protocol level as well. And like I said, I, I kind of feel that the, the door is closing on that one. Um, I don't know if it's how open it still is. Like we probably still have time, but at some point it's going to get harder to actually accomplish it. So it, it has the most it has the priority for me and then other other problems there are other challenges but i feel like 
these have less urgency if you if you ask. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much with you there. Like it's it's really a we got to do it now or we might lose our our opportunity, and that could be that could spell a big difference between uh, you know going down the road ten years as to what we have at our disposal and kind of the default of it's, it's kind of like the internet you know like when you're trying to get your privacy back and by default for the last 20 years it's not been there well then the question is why do you want privacy as opposed to if there was privacy or you know everything was encrypted by default the question would be why do you want to invade my privacy privacy exactly. you know exactly so yeah um so um now speaking of privacy uh uh, I mentioned the Genesis Files series that you did uh, some time back. Do you think that you have written about Satoshi? Like one of those, like Wei Dai, uh, Adam Back, Nick Zaba, like everybody that you've covered in the cypherpunks, do you think one of them was Satoshi? Or do you think it's an outsider that kind of hadn't played his hand yet? I don't know. I, 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 you don't know? I wish, well, I don't would I wish I knew? I don't even know if I would wish I knew. <laughs> but um, I, I just don't know. I, They're definitely candidates, for sure. Like, Nick Zabo is definitely a candidate. Adam Back, in my book, is also a candidate. Um, Why die? It's been a bit quiet, but I guess as well. I mean, I, they're candidates. Or they're, like, candidates to be part of a team. But I've been reading a lot of cypherpunk archives. And while reading it, I realized that, you know, there are actually more candidates that we've just never heard of. Like there are more, there were more people involved with some of these discussions and there were more people that had some pretty good ideas or that were definitely thinking about, I mean, I've read proposals. They're, they really sort of foreshadow Bitcoin in ways, or, or you could say, um, I mean, so did something like BitGold, of course, but there, there were more ideas along these lines. Just people we've, you know, that haven't reached the, the level of fame as uh, the Adam Bax and Nick Zabos have reached. I definitely think it's also possible that just one of these people that we don't mention every week or every day or that, that, are, that are never mentioned in this context, that, that are just, that could have been it, that could have been them. Um, uh, I don't have any names present for you, and I don't. I don't know if that would be interesting in the first place. But yeah, reading through these archives definitely made me realize that it's not just four candidates. There are probably more, like you know, twenty, thirty candidates. These people that were thinking about this stuff and that probably had the the ability to build something like that. Um, interesting. Yeah, I think I would probably be devastated if we actually found out who it was. Like, I don't really yeah, want to no, know who yeah, Satoshi no is, do. but um, I love to speculate. Yeah, but I think that's that's why we don't want to know, so we can still speculate, and that's fine. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so you're digging into some cypherpunk archives. Where uh, it, was it? Just the mailing list? Like you just like reading through the mailing list back? Uh, yeah, that's that would have been mostly it. Um, yeah, yeah, it it made made archives. Yep. Um, are you um, 
working on uh, something outside of Bitcoin Magazine with this? Is this? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to. I'd like to write a book. I'd like to write a book on, or I am writing a book. I should say. I. I the process is uh, in motion. Um, where I'm. Uh, I'd like to. So the Genesis files was sort of first first steps into that type of research. Um, and, um, but there, especially as I've been doing more research, I've, I've come to realize that the Genesis files was pretty limited. Actually, there's more, there's a lot of that I missed, I guess you could say, um, you know, to, to name one example, I think I, I remember when I wrote the Hashcash article, I think I wrote something like that. There weren't a lot of people who responded to the proposal. And now that I've been doing more research, I've realized, oh man, I just missed it. Like there were whole threads about it just <laughs> under a different name or like in different contexts. It wasn't as obvious that the threads were about Haskell, but there was actually tons of discussion about it. I, I sort of missed that. So I, at some point I'll probably re- revise these articles as well a little bit or, or add something or I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I'd like to, uh, I'm, I'd like to turn it all into a book. Nice. That would be awesome. I would be your first. If you want me to be a beta reader, I'll be a beta reader. But uh, I will be a. Uh, uh, if you ever, if you ever get through that, I know how uh, books can be um, because I've, I've got one in per- perpetuity right now as oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's a lot of work, man. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. I, I yes, realized it is. that as well, especially like the research, just the research alone. It's uh, it's. Um... It's a lot of work, so I've been. Uh, that's wh- that's why I've been taking some time off from Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, so I'm just focusing on the on this uh, writing and research projects. Um, yeah, I. Yeah. If you get it done, uh, let me know ASAP because I will buy your first copy, uh, hands down, hand over my heart. <laughs> well. Um, so I want to, uh, before we get to the end of this, I wanted to hit one thing because you actually, like, I like that you actually mentioned the whole printing press thing at the beginning and how like that was kind of what brought you to Bitcoin was its element and kind of changing the game, you know, like that, that paradigm shift idea. Um, and journalism is in a really interesting place right now. Uh, like, you know, we're, in the age of fake news, as as it's being called, I guess, um, for trying to like trying to find something in the mainstream, like that's true about Bitcoin, that's like accurate, um, is is really really. It's just it's just not. I, I have to admit, it's getting better, mm-hmm. but it's been really a garbage take every single time. And uh, so, outside of just you doing your research and figuring out what the truth is and writing about that. Do you think there's some specific cause to this? Is this just like some big transition that's happening between like, you know, maybe the internet versus, uh, you know, the old mainstream, like what's kind of your take on the state of the industry right now for journalism? Journalism, journalism is having to re reinvent itself and that's um not so easy because for decades or centuries people would pay for their news right people would walk to the store and buy a newspaper or or, um 
they'll buy a magazine. So people would buy their uh, news and that's kind of gone away since the internet. Paywalls aren't really working. I mean, there are some exceptions here and there, but it's not really working. So it's all kind of drifted to this ad, for, ad model. But that's, um, first of all, that really changes the incentives because when you want people to buy your stuff, there's a much stronger incentive to produce something of quality that people want to buy. You know, if they read your magazine and they like it, they think it's uh, they think it's valuable, they'll maybe buy it again next time. While with the internet, it's drifted way more to just attracting attention to get that click. Um, so quality, I mean, I'm not saying quality is completely unimportant, but it's it's definitely gotten less important overall uh, in favor of um, quantity, attracting attention. Um, that's a problem. Uh, so there's there's a lot of like people like to critique journalism and journalists these days, but these same people are often not willing to pay for it in the first place. So it's you know it's kind of. Yeah, it, you're right that it's not very, that the quality isn't very high, but you're also getting it for free and you're not willing to pay for anything. So, yeah. Yeah. you know. I, yeah, admittedly, I've never, I haven't paid for, every time I run into a paywall, I, I'm like, ugh. Well, I mean, usually it's because I have to sign up, yeah. though. Like, I feel like maybe if it was like a one time, like I pay 10 cents to get the article, I might actually do it. Maybe I don't know. Maybe you don't. I don't know. And, and I think more likely that you'd still not do it. At least it, it's very possible. Yeah. It's possible. I, I think um, paywalls in the internet is just a bad match. It doesn't like it. It would have to be so seamless in the same sense that uh, I don't know. Maybe something like uh, Spotify or like where you pay like a monthly, you know, ten dollars and then you can read everything. Maybe something like that would work. And then and then when I mean everything, I mean everything. I don't mean one particular uh, outlet. I mean, just read whatever you want. Like maybe something like that would work. And there's some, uh, some attempts at that. Um, and there's, there's experimentation all around, but I, I think it's a difficult problem to solve. And I, I really do think that's, I really do think that's a problem. I think, um, you know, if there's not a lot of money to be made, then talented people will prefer to do something else where they can make more money. So a lot of talented people just don't want to become a journalist anymore. Um, and even talented people, if 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 they just have to write clickbait, you know, that's doesn't benefit anyone. Um, I, I think I still I, I really think that's the core of the problem. How are how are we monetizing content in this digital age? And if we figure out a good solution there, I think quality will return as well. And and it's not it's not as if quality disappeared entirely, but in general, it will definitely improve quality. Gotcha. Yeah, because I, I think like for just kind of like my perspective, I don't, I don't really do like a lot of hunting into like the state of journalism. It's, it's just kind of like this thing that I'm curious about because it is changing so much right now. Um, but I feel like there's this, uh, particularly on the, uh, the internet, there's this dichotomy between kind of these like, like trust-based like relationships, like guerrilla marketing. I mean, excuse me, guerrilla journalism where 
like people are straight up boots on the ground and doing their own stuff. And like, you're following somebody on like a podcast and, or uh, like some YouTube show. And like, that's just what they do. But then there's this huge, massive, just kind of like clickbait thing at the same time. So how do you think, like, as far as like trying to get incentives aligned um, for paying for content or paying for good news, uh, how, do, how do you think Bitcoin plays a role in that? Like whether it could or has empowered people like like the WikiLeaks or uh, whistleblowers in general for, um, you know, getting the truth out there, just having it available. Um, how do you think Bitcoin kind of changes the game or influences yeah, well, that, that's a great example. Um, if if you're in some kind of regime where journalists aren't as safe as they are in the Netherlands or the United States, probably, um, you know, if you're in Russia, if you're in, uh, you know, name 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 a country where like most of the world probably actually, um, and if you can perform journalism anonymously. And then your payments happen in Bitcoin, like that's a that's hugely empowering. Um, yeah, yeah. So in that, for that, it could be great if people are willing to pay for journalism in the first place, of course. But then, uh, but then, yeah, <laughs> Bitcoin definitely offers a solution there. Maybe it will offer a solution in the micro payments kind of sphere. Um, this is this is for, definitely something the cypherpunks expected in the nineties. This was before the ad-based model sort of took over. They they definitely uh, expected that it that this is how it would work. People pay ten cents for their articles. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I'm kind of skeptical that that would work, but it would be great if it did work. So maybe maybe it's it's worth experimenting with, and maybe Bitcoin can uh, or Lightning can uh, can can play a role there. It, it would be neat. It would be great. It would be amazing. But um, yeah, I think. For now, until that's really invented or proven to work, it, it uh, uh, the other example is probably more powerful. Just being able to take payments anonymously in a country where you where that matters. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes. My thing about the whole paywall stuff is that I can't decide when I do use it because I I have used I've absolutely paid more Lightning paywalls than I've ever paid for like a subscription to get a New York times or whatever it is, but I can't tell if I'm doing it because I just want to play around with lightning or if I would actually pay to read the article, you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. We'll see as that goes forward. If there's like something where uh, as Nick, ba- not Zabo says uh, we minimize consumer worry enough that it feels seamless to get to the article for 10 cent. Like it's just, maybe it's just a click. Do you agree? Kind of thing. Um, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, I got my fingers crossed that we'll figure something out. Um, well, well, I think next Zabo would say the opposite, right? Like he thinks that the mental cost is too much already like just having to think about whether you want to pay for this article or not that's what i'm meaning is maybe we'll get it down low enough that it won't be the barrier right um yeah 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 the minimizing consumer worry because that really kind of turned me away made me go oh man micropayments might just not work um because he has really that that was a really good piece by him so yeah and i I, um who else wrote about that uh what would google do the author of that he he also made that argument uh, what's his name again? Um, anyways, he writes about um, 
journalism and internet and that sort of stuff. So Jarvis. Jarvis, what was the what was the article? I'd like to dig into uh, it. Maybe what, add it in my list. What would at least. Google do? It's a book. What would Google? Oh, it's a good book. What would Google do? Okay. Um, and that's interesting. I don't know that one. Yeah, I'll definitely check Jeff that out. Jarvis, he wrote about that kind of stuff as well, and he he also makes an argument that just just forcing people to think about whether they want to pay or not is already too much. Like yeah. That's the difference. You've the got difference the <laughs> between zero and one cent is just a huge difference already because you're forcing people to think about whether they want to pay. And that's already a huge hurdle more so than the money. Well, with that, uh, we're coming to the end here. So what do you think? I'd love to hear your opinion on what is the most significant change that in the next 10 years that Bitcoin will bring us? Like, like, what do you see? What's your future that, you think is most significant? Oh, great question. Um, I, I the the main thing the main thing that got me interested in Bitcoin or the, the first sort of real use case I I saw for this uh, um, just a hedge against the financial system smock insurance I think uh, was it Bilal that called it that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Uh, it sounds familiar, but I don't know who. Yeah, like if if the whole thing does collapse, or if if we do see some sort of major financial catastrophic event like hyperinflation or something like that, then Bitcoin is actually going to perform as a safe haven. It's right there. A lot of people, even even people that don't think about Bitcoin in that way, they're just speculating for money, or they're just buying drugs like even they will have you know they have bitcoin wallets on their phones they know how it works and when the shit hits the pen they're gonna know um you know they're they're gonna know how to use it and i think that i don't know if it's gonna happen but if it happens like bitcoin is there and um it's gonna help a lot of people in in this you know it's already doing that in some place in the world of course but um i think that's that's the biggest deal about bitcoin got you yeah it's definitely, um, I think we're, whatever it is, I'm kind of leaning towards the fact that it will just be a sovereign debt crisis will really be the the big thing that kicks it off. But yeah, the, the fact that Bitcoin is there kind of as an escape valve for all that pressure um, yeah. is, is just fascinating in itself because we've never had it before. Like we've never really had a way out. Like gold was kind of the best uh the best not that great of an option <laughs> essentially so yeah and well yeah gold was the best option and, and then they banned it yeah exactly yeah um and, and yeah i i don't think they're going to be able to ban bitcoin well i mean you know what i mean they can ban they they can ban it by law but that's not going to stop people from having it on their computers exactly when you ban gold you have you're banning it in the same layer in the physical layer in which you kind of have control uh, so they're banning it, basically bans it. Like there's, you know, going to be stuff that leaks through the crack. But when you ban Bitcoin, you don't really put up many barriers. You just kind of, you squeeze the on-ramps and off-ramps. So yeah, I agree. Like it's it's not really going to stop Bitcoin. It's just going to make it a little bit more of a headache. <laughs> um, with that, in, in, in that 10 years, when 
all this is coming to a head and we see what's going on, are you still going to be around writing about all the cool t- new tech and breaking down the white papers for me? <laughs> um, I think so. I, I've, yeah, I think so. I think Bitcoin is still, I still think it's super fascinating. Um, but it, that's also because it's developing fast and it's growing fast and that's part of the fascination. Maybe at some point if it, if I feel it's kind of stagnating, if there, you know, if, if it's not really growing anymore and if there's not that many new developments or then I might get bored and just find the new thing that interests me. That's, that's definitely possible. I mean, 10 years is a long time. I don't know. But right now I don't have any, uh, well, I will say I, I'm thinking I would like to do some other types of media as well, probably. So I writing is definitely something I'll, I I see myself doing for a while. But I I I I think I would enjoy doing some other stuff. I'm gonna do a podcast soon as well, actually. No kidding. Yeah, well, it's gonna it's gonna be a Dutch podcast. It's gonna be okay. yeah with uh, two uh, two other Bitcoiners here in Netherlands. Um, one of them. I'll not have to learn Dutch. <laughs> yeah. well, we'll, we'll probably do like an English spin-off thing maybe as well where if, if there's like English guests or something <laughs> alright I'll keep an eye out for but, it um, yeah it's, uh, we're, we're planning on doing that we're probably going to start after summer and then we'll uh, there, there isn't really a Bitcoin only podcast in the Netherlands yet there are a couple of, of like crypto podcasts mm-hmm. like everything like blockchain and every altcoin and, and you know Bitcoin will be future once in a while but we're gonna do like a bitcoin only podcast and i'm looking forward to that i think it will be fun um sweet sweet so that's one thing uh i i mentioned the book so that's that's kind of a different media as well and uh who knows 10 years 10 years long time could, yep would, would a lot fun. happens in 10 years 10 years bitcoin didn't exist <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah so um i don't know if i'll only be writing um or or maybe my function at Bitcoin Magazine will change over time. Maybe I'll uh, do something else at Bitcoin Magazine, or um, I don't know. I I think I'll still do Bitcoin stuff for years to come. As long as I find Bitcoin interesting, I'll do Bitcoin stuff, and I I still find Bitcoin interesting, and I think it will be interesting for a while longer. I don't know if it will be writing articles only that. I, well, I, I know it won't be articles only because I'm doing a podcast, but um, yeah, who, who knows? I, I, I would enjoy doing more diverse stuff probably. That's exciting. That's exciting. I'll be, I'll be, uh, I'll be, I'll be waiting, waiting on the doorstep to check it all out. Um, cool. uh, with that, uh, is there anything else you want to, you want to mention? Um, and, and I would also say uh, for like the recent stuff that you've been writing, uh, and on the website, in the in the magazine, anything. Uh, if you could tell uh, my listeners to read one that was really good, what would it be? I guess of my of my more recent articles, I would say go and read the Taproot one. I think that's a that's a big upgrade that's coming. Hopefully, potentially, like, you know, it's uh, it's not. It's not there yet. We'll still have to. It you know we'll have, still have to go through the whole activation process and everything like that. And it's not even clear what that's gonna look like. But it looks promising. Like it looks like it's gonna happen. Taproot. Taproot's a big deal. Uh, I think. And I think my article came out pretty well too. So 
I guess that that would be my recommend, recommendation. Cool. Awesome. Well, dude, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Sorry, sorry about your uh, headset not working, yeah, <laughs> but uh, I think it sounds good. It sounds good. So uh, no, no issues there. I don't think, but I right. uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, like I said, I've been following you for ages, it seems. And uh, uh, I'll be uh, excited to see the next one when you drop a new article. All right. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Yeah, man. And uh, say hey to everybody at the Bitcoin Magazine crew for me. All right. Take care. <laughs> All right, dude. Take it easy. And that will do it for today. Do not forget to check out, uh, well, the many articles that we have read of Aaron's on the show. I'll uh, drop a lot of those links in the show notes if I can find them all. I don't even know how many pieces we've done. Uh, most recently, the one we talked about was State Chains. And uh, I'm also going to link to all the work he has done on Bitcoin Magazine, as well as the uh, most recent print article, the 10th anniversary edition. Uh, so you'll be able to find all that stuff in the show notes and uh, obviously his Twitter page so that you can follow him and you don't miss the other amazing stuff he's always, always writing about um, and talking about. Like I know I said um, in the show how like I really have come to depend on him because I don't quite have the time to really dig into some of these things um, when, you know, I have so much other stuff to read. So I've been relying on him a lot and, uh, I really, really appreciate his work. So thank you all for joining me. This is the Crypto Economy and I am Guy Swan. If you want to hear all about the crazy tech, all the different perspectives and want to consume as much of the incredible writing and content available in this space, then this is the place you need to be. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite app, whether it be iTunes or Spotify or SoundCloud, wherever you are. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show. And, of course, follow me on Twitter at The Crypto Economy and Aaron as well at, at Aaron Van W. And until next time, take it easy, guys.